Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that the scripture read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Today, our lesson is from the New Testament, Romans 12, 1 through 18. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite all the children who are here in the sanctuary, if you'd like to, to come and join me up here. You'll have to go around this way because the communion rail is down.
And if you're worshiping from home, just get a little closer to your screens and we'll share a moment together. Hi there. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. It even has my name on it. Thank you so much. Very sweet. Good morning. Good morning. Well, today is a very special day in the church. It's World Communion Sunday. So Pastor Maggie helped put all this beautiful um, altar rail together with the cloths and things from different countries all across the world. So we think about all the people all across the world who are sharing in communion today. I have a map of the world. It's actually written in Spanish. All the country names are in Spanish, which is kind of cool. Did you know that hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people thought the world was flat? Did you know that? Yeah, because they didn't have trains or planes or cars or ships. They had no way to travel very far. And so, you know, if you walk out your door, you look down and you think, huh, the world is flat. It makes sense. But then a few hundred years ago, people started making ships and they got to where they could sail around the world and end up right where they started. And so they figured out the world is round. And now we know astronauts go out into space and they look back in the earth and it is round. So people had to learn and they had to change their minds. And I think, you know, changing our minds can be a good thing when we learn new things. We heard in our Bible story today a letter from a man named Paul who was talking to the churches. And one of the things he told them was to always be open to learn new things. There is nobody who knows all the answers to everything. We don't know all there is to know about God. There's always more to learn. So as you grow up in the church, as you go to Sunday school, when you become a youth and you start going to youth group, we want you to know that you can always ask any question you want to ask. And you can always learn more. And we, as grown-ups, can always say, you know what? That's a good question. I don't know. Let's pray about it. So let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that there is always more to learn about you and about each other. We pray that you'll help us to ask questions and wonder and dream and always be open to changing our minds and learning new things. In your love we pray. Amen. All right, three, four, and five-year-olds can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie and Miss Jennifer. And if you're older than that, you can go join your parents or friends. And thank you so much for my drawing. I'm going to keep it on my desk. Andrew called this my prop closet over here. That's where I hide my props for children's message. I have to confess it was a little bit of a challenge to think about how to talk with children about the letter to the Romans. Because this is a a complex, deeply theological letter that Paul wrote. We have many letters of Paul, and over the next few weeks we're going to be hearing from some of them. We won't get to hear all of them, but they're very different from each other. We have Philippians, which is full of, of affection and and kindness and support from Paul. We have Galatians, in which Paul is emotional in another way. He's sort of angry with the Galatians. He even says, you foolish Galatians, at one point. 
But Romans doesn't have that kind of emotional investment from Paul. In fact, it's written to a community of believers that he most likely had never met. He was planning to go to Rome and from thence to Spain. But he's writing to a group of people that he really didn't have a relationship with just yet. Most scholars think this letter came later in his ministry when he has developed a a highly sophisticated theology of who Jesus Christ is and what God has accomplished in the world through Christ. And it is layer upon layer of rhetorical argument. And as one commentator, N.T. Wright, said, if anyone claims to understand the letter to the Romans fully, they're mistaken. (laughs) Because no one fully understands it, there's always more to learn from this letter. But what Paul seems to be constructing in in the first 11 chapters of the letter to the Romans is an exhortation about grace. He's writing to Christians, some of whom are coming from the Jewish tradition, others of whom were coming from a Gentile tradition, very different And is explaining to them because through the love of Jesus Christ that God has shared with the whole world, everybody is now included in God's grace. And that God's grace is offered to all people as a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace or to lose God's grace. It's not about following all the rules and doing all the right things. And when it comes to the community of Christ that's built around this grace, there's not one person who's more deserving than another. He moves toward, in chapter 12, this image of the body of Christ. We are all one in the body of Christ. And so he invites the Romans, after he lays out this theology of grace, to think about how we live in light of that knowledge. Chapters 1 through 11, it's grace upon grace, theology, and rhetorical argument. And then chapter 12, he turns and says, therefore, so what? So we know all this about grace. What does that mean for how we live in the world and how we treat one another and how we understand our place and our relationship with God? And so you heard, as Anita read, there are lots of teachings toward the end of the text around um, show kindness to strangers, be generous, love what is good, hate what is evil, outdo one another in showing honor, these sort of ways to live it out. But before he goes there, he begins this chapter 12 with what I think are the crucial three verses to help us live into a community of grace. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Boy, we could just dwell on those two verses over and over again and never unpack them fully. What I hear Paul saying in that initial invitation is that if you are going to walk the walk with Jesus, if you're going to go on this journey of grace, if you're willing to accept that you are accepted, then now comes the life of living in that grace. 
Yes, he says in Romans that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. But when Paul talks about being saved and salvation, it doesn't just mean I say I believe in Jesus and now I get my ticket to heaven and that's all that matters. In that way, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, is very much in line with where Paul is. Salvation is not just about what happens after we die. It's what happens every day in our walk with God, growing more and more deeply in love with God and neighbor, growing more deeply into the likeness of Christ. And Paul says, in order to do that, we have to wake up every morning and offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice to God. We have to surrender over and over and over again all of those things that get in the way of receiving God's grace and of sharing God's grace. Maybe it's surrendering our ego. Maybe it's surrendering our self-doubt. Maybe it's surrendering our addictions. Maybe it's surrendering our certainty. I was at a clergy meeting this week. I'm not quite sure what we call ourselves. The West Nashville Clergy Alliance, I think, is the name we've landed on. We've been meeting for a long time, clergy of different denominations. And my colleague and friend Davey Tucker was there, and he said, you know, I think the deepest sin of our time is the sin of certainty. I'll say more on that a little bit later. But we do get entrenched in our ideas of who God is and our opinions of of what's right and our perspectives of the world. And Paul seems to be inviting us to be open to God doing something new, to surrender and sacrifice what we think we know in order to receive what God has for us each and every day. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world would like for us to be certain in our opinions. This world would like to polarize us. This world would like to rank us in terms of who's more worthy and who's not. This world would like to invade our communion table and make it instead of a place where all belong with equal belonging, a place where we're divided by rank and opinion and labels. Paul says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What if we came to Christ's table with the humility of recognizing we don't know everything, we don't have all the answers, and maybe we have something to learn for the person across the table and what all we have to learn from our host in Jesus Christ. Why is it that there is this temptation, especially right now in this moment in our world, to be certain and to be so entrenched in our opinions? We see it all the time in our political world, our political leaders. It's like the worst insult you can say to someone who's running for office is, he changed his mind, or she flip-flopped on that issue. Really? Is it because maybe he learned more information that he didn't have? Or is it because she spent some time with people who are affected by this decision? 
Is it a, a bad sign for someone to change their mind? Or is it a sign that someone is open and willing to learn and to listen? Paul seems to be saying that openness and ability to listen and learn and change is one of the the vital qualities of someone who's following Jesus. So today we come to the world communion table. And we come not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, says Paul. We come to this table because we know we need the grace that's offered here. That's the only reason we come to the table. We need grace. And that's the reason everyone else is at the table too. And we're all in it together. And this is where we find the grace. And who knows what we might learn about each other? Who knows what we might learn about God that will stretch our understanding and our ideas and what we thought we new. Can we come with uncertainty and discover the grace that is offered in that openness? Now, of course, there are some things we do know. Most of the things I can claim that I do know, I learned when I was their size. Jesus loves me. This I know. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. He's got the whole world in his hands. These things I know. The rest of it, I've still got a lot to learn. Thanks be to God.